Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Richard Smith as we discuss the recent explosion of day trading in the US and some of the ramifications. When Dr. Smith discovered that top investment advisors and wealthy traders use special mathematical formulas to invest in the stock market, he decided to try it. Using his own formula, he found that he could make more money and take less risk, regardless of market performance. Richard's newest endeavour, RiskSmith, levels the playing field for individual investors. Synthesising his passion for simplifying complex financial markets and his background in mathematics and system science, Richard has created tools that help investors better understand risk. He studied mathematics at the University of California, Berkeley, and earned his PhD in system science from the Watson School of Engineering. He's chairman of the board and CEO of the Foundation for the Study of Cycles. So first and foremost, a very warm welcome to you, Dr. Smith, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. I love talking about this stuff, Richard. Very happy to be here, and I love helping investors, and it seems like uh, you guys are doing a great job of that. So kudos to you, and honored to be with you and your audience today. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Perhaps if we could start at the, uh, the top then, if you could give us a, a very brief summary of the very important differences between day trading as opposed to investing. At one level, every market action on whatever time frame is a form of speculation. Can we agree on that? Absolutely. So it's really a matter of time frame. Traditionally, you can say, you know, day trading versus investing. Day trading is taking place on a very short-term time frame. True day trading, you're in and out in the same day, right? Mm-hmm. And investing, you know, for me, investing is if you hold your positions on average for at least 18 months. Okay. <laughs> Research has shown that in the U.S. markets, I think the average holding period for a stock amongst retail investors varies from six to 10 months. I think if you want to be an investor, which I think is a very good spot for people, for the retail market to seriously consider, okay? Your ideal time frame for a holding period is kind of 18 months to the three to five year window. So you're not Warren Buffett, you know, but you're not a high frequency trader. You know, most of us aren't buying and holding for 50 years unless you're a millennial, a smart millennial, right? (laughs) But so, you know, it's really a matter of time frame. And I think that, uh, you know, my work has focused on helping people in build their core portfolios, do so in a risk savvy way, you know, with the target holding period of at least 18 months is a is a good starting point. And I think that's kind of a sweet spot for the public in the markets. You know, if you want to be a day trader, look, people make money day trading, but it is brutal. I always say it's like jumping into the ring with an MMA fighters and you haven't even trained in the gym, you know, and you think you're going to go in there and score some points, you know, but you're fighting against incredible experience and computing power and relationships and resources. It can be done, but it takes some, some real dedication and a lot of time and energy, and it's very stressful. Sure. In fact, one of the, one of the uh, expressions we use, that what's important is time in the market rather than timing the market, because as you say, uh, that yeah. can be something akin to crossing a motorway at a busy time. And of course, 
if that if that weren't enough that um, we've got some retail investors going into this um, reasonably blind of course you then get another level of complication when you start thinking about options trading which can obviously amplify both losses and gains and even with tragic consequences in, in terms of the UK certainly it's um, one of those things where there's there's regulation where you have to sign almost disclaimers uh, sort yeah. of risk warning notices uh, that you understand just the, the complexity of options for example and, and what you're investing in is that something uh, which you, you're seeing in the, in the US as well well, I think you all do a much better job in the UK of, are you familiar? I think it's the European Securities Market ESMA yeah. requirement, yeah. right? Yeah. I didn't even know about this till recently that some brokers, and I don't know which ones it is, have to actually publish on their website what percentage of their clients lose money. Yes, yes. And it's not good. Yeah. It's not good. The average was, you know, 76% of the clients lose money. And That's so... Great. Kudos to the EU for forcing brokers to disclose that. You ever think about the word broker makes you a broker? <laughs> so, so anyway, like I'm a big fan of the markets. I'm a big advocate of people getting involved in the markets. But my big beef, I would say, is with human nature. <laughs> but, uh, but after that, it's yeah. with the, the narrative that the retail product space puts out there that, hey, this is easy, come on in, it's going to be great, you can be successful. And then making money off of the churn and the, you know, the float and not off of the success of their clients, you know. And so that's a, that's a tricky part of the retail business. Um, I know a lot of companies like yours are trying to make improvements to that model and, um, you know, get more aligned with customers. But the markets are a wonderful opportunity for people. Just most of the marketing that brings people in is misleading and, and doesn't give people a realistic sense of expectations about what it takes to succeed, right? So options amplify that. We don't come to the markets with sober expectations of what we need to risk in order to achieve a certain level of reward and what kinds of rewards are possible to achieve. Now, Richard, I remember when I was starting out 20 years ago, I'm just finishing up my PhD in the mathematics of uncertainty. I mean, I should be a reasonably sober market participant, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting in a investment conference and speakers are talking and one guy, you know, is presenting on options, right? And the speaker right before him had been presenting a simple strategy to spend a couple hours a year and make 12% annually, which you and I know is a pretty darn good achievement. But at the time, the guy who's pitching the options gets up and goes, ah, who wants to make 12% a year? Who wants to make 100% a year trading options? And in my head, Richard, I heard myself say, I have to wait a year to make 100%? Like, I want to make 100% in a month. Yeah. That is kind of the mindset that we come in with that is not discouraged by the marketplace. Let alone the other question mark, of course, if that individual was such a successful investor, what was he doing teaching a room of um, students of 500 bucks right. yes, or whatever? Exactly. So, you know, my journey was one of tempered expectations. And going back to my background as a, in the mathematics of uncertainty and literally getting a PhD and being called the doctor of uncertainty, it is about expected values in the probabilistic sense. What is the expected value of this bet? 
because we're all speculating whether it's on a day trading scale or on a you know five to ten year holding period scale. The markets don't exist if they don't uh, you know if there's not risk. The yep. markets exist because of risk. Entrepreneurs and companies come to the markets to mitigate risk, yep. and people who offer their money to the markets are risk managers. Yep. If you have capital and you're putting it in the markets, what you're saying is, I can help you mitigate that risk. Take my capital. I'll participate in this risk endeavor, risk-based endeavor. So, you know, risk management is the biggest missing link for people. And it's very connected to expected value, which is a simple concept in probability. I know everybody's scared of math, but, you know, you have to know what an expected value is. And you have to be able to calculate an expected value and understand how much risk you're taking to gain that reward. And you want to put the odds in your favor. That's the simplest you know, message that I have <laughs> for the retail audience. And uh, if I may digress for just one moment. Sure. So earlier I said, you know, my, my biggest beef is with human nature. So this was like a real aha and awakening for me in my experience as an investor that I always want to share with an audience any chance I get, <clears throat> which is that there have been two Nobel Prizes in economics awarded right. for the highly controversial observation that we hate to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Kahneman the founder, along with Amos Tversky of Behavioral Finance, wrote a popular book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Michael Lewis wrote Moneyball about, you know, and the movie with Brad Pitt based on <laughs> applying that kind of behavioral math, let's say, to um, the baseball area, right? <clears throat> and it applies in the markets. And then Recently, Richard Thaler got a follow-up Nobel Prize. He was Daniel Kahneman's student. He got the Nobel Prize for saying, yeah, we hate to lose and we're always trying to get back to break even. So everybody, you know, it's not controversial that we hate to lose, but what people don't understand about the consequences of this bias that we have is that it has different consequences for whether or not you are in a losing position or a winning position. When you are losing, the fact that you hate to lose makes you not wanna sell. You wanna double down. You want to triple down. You want to get back to break even. You want to turn a short-term trade into a long-term investment. Anything but take the loss because that loss means you lost. You have to accept it and move on, right? But we don't want to do that. So we become risk-seeking when we are losing. We take more risk with our losing positions. Yep. But when we're winning, our fear of loss attaches itself to our profits. And we become risk-averse with our profits. And so we don't double up on our winners, we double down on our losers. And then you couple that with the fact that markets regularly defy logic, right? They, yep. they, they exhibit, you know, not only two and three standard deviation events, but four, five, six, and seven standard deviation uh -huh. events. Things that aren't supposed to happen in a thousand years, you know, happen every year in the markets. Yep, very true. <laughs> and they have momentum. We just have this devastating, you know, psychological bias that gets us trapped on in the down, in the down drafts, and then gets us out early in the updrafts. And so that is the thing that people have to somehow address yep. as investors or traders. And of course, there's the education issue in the same way that you wouldn't be allowed to 
drive a car without lessons and indeed a license. And yet there's this possibility of being able to get in, into the market, which I'm sure we'll come on to in, in the moment. I'm, I don't particularly want to call out any particular companies. The reason I mentioned uh, Robin Hood, which is a, obviously a US company well known to you and, and probably many of our listeners yeah. on the basis that they're trying to be up and running in the UK before the end of the year. But just yeah. in the first quarter of this year, they added 3 million new accounts. Yeah. And of course, one of the concerns that has been raised, I'd, I'd be really interested to hear your views on this, is that on the basis that um, it, it's a, an app, and a fairly simple app at that, there's almost yes. an element of such access to the market threatening to gamify the process, almost a kind of video game-like experience, which, which yeah. of course is an accident waiting to happen. I couldn't agree more, and I'm very conflicted about Robin Hood and what they've accomplished because on the one hand, I think that they really have done a fantastic job of building a platform and actually delivering compelling content and, and, and inviting people into the markets. And like I said, I'm a huge advocate of the public involvement in the markets, but I don't think that the solution for people is just about access. I actually think free trades are a disaster for the retail investor. Uh -huh. uh, it reduces the friction to trade and the biggest single contributor to, you know, underperformance is over trading. Ease of access and free trades are not going to make people better investors. The cost of a commission is not a significant impact, you know, unless you're like a day trader, it's not a significant impact on your long-term performance. So, you know, making the markets that easily accessible where you can just pull out a cell phone and you get an alert and, and it's free and there's no friction for you to act on impulse is a disaster. There's that very elegant phrase, isn't there, that um, digital literacy does not equal financial literacy oh. it's exactly what you've been uh, talking to me about here is yeah. um, people jumping into the, the deep end without it's, having the necessary uh, qualifications it's terrible i'm really trying to figure out how to change that that's what my company risk smith it's not going to be our product name necessarily but i believe that people need to understand the psychology of investing people need to be able to come into this Really wonderful endeavor. You know, as you said, you talked about driving a car. I actually usually talk about flying a plane. The way that people approach the markets, it's analogous to you think you can fly a plane with no training, no license. Here's a fighter jet sitting on the runway. Hop in the cockpit, take off. You know you would die, right? And that is the same thing. You are going to die in the markets if you just walk in open up an account, have free trades, and you know, throw, start rolling the dice. You're, you're, you're gonna lose your money. There is no doubt about it. You might get lucky for some period of time, but that's even worse for you because then you'll start thinking you're smart and you're really just lucky. The plane analogy is a fabulous one because there, there was actually a, a line <laughs> in the FT, very much similar yeah. to what you, you were saying about planes, but of course the day trader unless he or, or she is careful, can be rather more like Icarus flying towards the sun than, than that a, is a, a what's going to happen. I, you know, I have no doubt. And, um, you know, you see it even happening with these three and 4% corrections in a day, right? Yeah. These market moves, right? That's, you know, if you're day trading, you know, those are very tough to survive. 
And the biggest imperative is survival. Yeah. You got to live to fly another day. Um, so I think the flying analogy is a wonderful analogy for people to contemplate. It might take a couple of years for you to earn your pilot's license, but there is a wonderful freedom in flight. And yep. there's a wonderful freedom in investing. Approach it with some sobriety, approach it with some humility, respect the markets. You know, they are a formidable institution and there are formidable other, you know, participants in the markets. You know, the markets will teach you, you can learn. Take your time, especially if you're a Robin Hood investor who has probably, you know, 40, 50 years to really um, leverage this in your favor in the future. You have an incredible opportunity. So slow down, take your time, educate yourself, start with a small amount of money, expand it as you demonstrate success on your own. It'll be a lot of fun. Real success long-term is a lot more fun than a couple of quick hits and a big crash. Patience is indeed a virtue. Extraordinarily, we, we've uh, run out of time. You've been most <laughs> insightful and I've oh. thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. So yeah. our thanks go again to, to Dr. Richard Smith for that terrific conversation. And thank you for listening as well. And do join us next time when we return to another interactive investor podcast. Yeah.